the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. We've been going through a series in 2 Peter, uh, and we're, today we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there to 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, and uh, yeah, or, or on your phones, or we have Bibles in the pews in front of you as well. Are we okay with sound, or should I use a pulpit? We're good? Okay. Okay, so 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 to 13 for today. The, um, it, I don't know what your house is like at Christmas time. We're getting near into the Christmas season. You go into the malls and things are bustling already and all of that stuff. But in our house, you know, Christmas time gets pretty exciting. Um, my, my wife and my kids especially get very excited. This, this weekend, just yesterday, we already put up our Christmas tree. Um, yeah, people are like, oh no, they, all the husbands, don't put the pressure on. But yes, the pressure's on. Uh, the Christmas tree's up, lights are on, looks good. So we've had Christmas music, though, playing in our house since November 1st. So that's the deadline I put on it. I know some people start in July, some people start in October. November 1st, don't bring it any earlier, November 1st. But I don't know, what you, if, you, if you listen to the different Christmas songs that are out there, and I'm, I'm meaning kind of the pop culture songs, the ones that you hear on, on the radio, you know, I think it's 103.5 that always plays Christmas music. Um, and, and some of those songs, though, they aren't very, honestly, if you listen to the words, they aren't that joyful. They're a little bit disappointing and full of disappointment. The, 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 the author of the song or the per- the artist who wrote the song or is performing it or whatever, the words themselves are kind of disappointing. So the first one, first example, uh, Elvis, Blue Christmas. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me. Okay, Elvis, why aren't you at home? Just, <laughs> just go home, everything will be okay. Okay, but, or um, the song Last Christmas by George Michael, uh, 80s song. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. The very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Well, George, hopefully you're a little more discerning in your relationships next time. <laughs> or... Or uh, Mission BC, The Pride of Mission BC, Carly Rae Jepsen. Terrible song called Christmas Mittens. The, the song doesn't even make sense, uh, but I'm going to read a couple of the lyrics just so you know. Something to get me through the loneliness of Christmas Eve. I fell for you like crazy. And I can't get thoughts of you from me. What? So give me your warmest pair, your strongest pair of mittens, please. Mittens? Strong mittens? Mittens are knit. They're like something grandma makes for you and you wear to kind of keep you warm. 
It's hard to say mittens are strong, Carly Ray. I don't know, maybe that's what you get growing up in mission. <laughs> Sorry, I love mission. Mission's great. Don't, no, forget I said that. But according to the world, okay, according to the world, if you listen kind of the presumption in these songs is that, is that there's certain expectations around Christmas and, and I should just be happy at Christmas. Everything should be great. But often the expectations leave us disappointed. And that's because as people, we tend to put our hopes and our, our, our happiness, we set them on things that can fail us. But what Christmas is really about is that God keeps his promises. And God doesn't let us down. God, get, God tells us what we can expect from him and he fulfills it. He told us that he would send the Messiah and he did. God, the Son, Jesus Christ, came, born of a virgin, lived his life perfect, without sin, died for our sins, at the Messiah, he was as promised in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. And there's also promises about his second coming, when he will return in power and glory. So his first coming, the virgin birth, first advent, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But we also look forward, the advent season actually looks forward also to his second coming, which we are eagerly awaiting Yet regarding his advent, whether it's his first or second, there are scoffers. And that's what this passage talks about today. But even though there are scoffers, we need to know that God will fulfill his promises. So scoffers say that he's not coming back, but we can be assured that he will. So therefore, we need to live for him. And that's what today's text is all about. So the big idea is that Christ's return is assured so live for him. Christ's return is assured, so live for him. And there's two points to the message today. Number one, what scoffers overlook. And number two, what the beloved shall not overlook. So number one, what scoffers overlook. Second Peter chapter three, the first three verses. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So if you read chapter 2 of 2 Peter, chapter 2 goes through the, the false teachers that will come. And he, he warns us about the false teachers and their teachings. Now he's saying there's also scoffers that will come. People who just mock. People who say, oh, you're so silly for believing that stuff. How can you believe the Bible? How can you believe this fact Jesus is coming? There's going to be a judgment on the earth? Ooh, and they'll mock you like this. And Peter's saying that this scoffing is going to come particularly towards his second coming. So to combat that, what are we supposed to do? Remember the predictions of the prophets before and the commandments of the Lord Jesus. So the prophets predicted the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. They pre the predictions were there that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be the Messiah for us. And these were all fulfilled. 
There's also predictions about Jesus' second coming. And after Jesus' resurrection, he lived among the disciples for 40 days, and, and then he ascended to heaven and promised that he would return again. And then there's the commandment that Peter's referencing that Jesus gave us to stay awake and be ready for this return of Jesus. You can find that in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, which will be on the screen. Jesus says this, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. As Henry just encouraged us, right? Don't wait too long. That's what this passage is saying. You don't know when that coming of Jesus will be. And Jesus can come for us in one of two ways. He can come, number one, and call each of us individually home, referring to the day we die. We never know when that's going to happen, right? After I graduated high school, um, a, friend that, that, uh, a friend that I had in high school, a brother of his, was only 18 at the time, and he was one night, a Friday night, he's hanging out with friends, they're standing in a parking lot around their vehicles, laughing, talking about life, and this brother just, boom, hits the pavement, dead. Massive heart attack, 18 years old. This was back in, what, 1995, 1996, something like that. Or number two, Jesus will come quickly and suddenly when he comes again to bring his kingdom to earth in power and glory on that day of judgment. But still the scoffers scoff. So 2 Peter, continuing in these verses, verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact so they look back and they go, oh, ever since all, like, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everything's been fine. What are you worried about, they're saying. But verse 5, for they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. You can see that in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and God formed things out of the waters, right? And by that... Me or And that by means of these, so the, the water, the world that then existed was deluged and with water and perished. So Peter's referring to Noah's flood. But by the same word, so again, God's word, the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter's saying, people will mock. They'll mock the fact that we believe in things from the past. They mock that we'll believe in things that are promised to us in God's word. They'll mock for us, us for believing in Jesus. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe there was a flood. They don't believe there will be a future judgment day. And Peter's saying that to people. This is 2,000 years ago that this was written. 
And Peter's saying that to people in his day, but doesn't it well explain our day? What people say? There's a picture that I'm going to put on the screen here. Uh, so this is back in 2009. There was a, an atheist, a well-known atheist and author and professor in England by the name of Richard Dawkins. Is that picture there? Nope, not there. Okay. So, so there's a, an atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins. He's well-known. He's written lots of books. He's, he's kind of this pop culture icon when it comes to Darwinian evolution. And he, he personally paid for a campaign, an ad campaign throughout London to go on the buses that said, God probably doesn't exist. So don't worry and enjoy your life. So Richard Dawkins is a person who, who scoffs at the idea of God, at the idea of belief. And, and this isn't just Christianity. He scoffs at every, every religion out there. But he says that, why would you believe this? There's probably no God. Look, everything's just continuing the way it always has. Look at Darwinian evolution. You just, you, we've, we've all molded from this primordial goo into these people that now exist and have emotions and feelings and care about each other. And, but it's all random. Don't believe in God. Just live your life, whatever. The problem with that belief, though, is that if I just do what I want and I do me, so to speak, at some point when that negatively affects you or you or you, all of a sudden there's a problem, right? I'm not allowed to just do what I want. It falls apart. Yet the, the mocking still comes. The Western intellectual world is full of this kind of scoffing. Every single university, basically, uh, every major university, state university, provincial university, you're going to find professors who scoff at the word of God, who scoff at the idea that there is a God who made things who, and that there is a natural created order to the universe even. If you hold to biblical morals, good luck in being taken seriously. Even if you hold to a rational view of nature and how, and how nature works, and that there is an order to how God created things. Even this is getting mocked these days. And that kind of wisdom that they claim to have, that kind of wisdom isn't just staying in the ivory towers of the universities anymore. That is being pulled through their teachings, through online media, through whatever, coming all the way into our lives, into the regular average Joe's life and workplace and neighborhood and even into the church. So the wisdom of the wise has made, it, made its way from the universities into our homes. So therefore, harsh critics and scoffers may come to you at your job or your school parent committee or even to us here in the church. And when that scoffing comes, when that mockery comes, how are we going to respond which wisdom will you choose? 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, uh, verses 20 through 25 says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So which wisdom are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the wisdom of the wise that say that this is foolish? Or are you going to choose the wisdom of God, which says they're foolish? Choose wisely. On to point number two, what the beloved shall not overlook. Second Peter 3, verses 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So what shouldn't we overlook? See, even in this passage, I think we have the temptation to overlook what Peter tells us not to overlook, because he gets into this extraordinary language, of this apocalyptic language of the, the heavenly bodies dissolving and the heavens passing away with a roar and everything being burned up. And we're like, oh, what's that all about? But before that, what does he say? He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that, the Lord, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. That's what we shouldn't be overlooking, is God's patience. Like I said last week, we shouldn't discard his patience or view his patience as apathy. Some of the older translations will use the word long-suffering instead of patience. And that's not a word that we really use much in our day, but I think it's an accurate way of describing God's patience. God suffers us. He doesn't need us. He suffers us. Which means, basically, in our daily lives, we sin against him. We sin against him in our thoughts. We sin against him in our actions. We sin against him with our words. But God is patient. But when we sin, we're sinning against him. So it's causing him suffering. But rather than God wiping everybody out or judging us in the moment, he's patient with us. And God continues to endure this sinfulness and... and, uh, going through this long suffering that he has, giving ample opportunity for everyone to turn away from their sin. But God's long suffering won't last forever. 
when God's patience runs out, when the day of the Lord arrives, it will be sudden and it will be decisive. This burning up that Peter mentions in verse 10 is, is a cleansing fire. So if you think about, um, you think about a jeweler who molds gold, and he, he takes some, some raw gold and he gets it really hot so it melts, and then the impurities come up, right? Like this is the kind of fire that Peter's referencing. So God's going to bring a cleansing fire to the earth where it will, it will take up the, the impurities that are in the earth because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion against him, and it will burn those away, just leaving the purity of God's creation. And he will make a new heavens and a new earth out of this. So yeah, like when refining gold, it'll expose the impurities, like the false teachers and their teachings will be gone. The scoffers and their scoffings, judged and finished. That's the coming day of the Lord. Verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to this promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So with the assured return of Christ, how shall we live? That's the question. And Peter says, lives of holiness and godliness, anticipating the day of the Lord. Drawing near to him in prayer, praying for his return. And you might think, well, what, that sounds like a terrible day. Why would we pray for it? Why would we pray for that day? Because that day isn't the end. There's much beyond that day that will be amazing and it will be perfect, a perfect new heavens, new earth created for those who believe in Jesus and put their faith in him now. Those who will repent of their sins and turn to Christ. When we, when we go to baptisms in a few minutes, um, between the baptisms, Aaron's going to come up and he's going to lead us in singing. Um, the, the cross before me, the world behind me. He's going to lead us. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. But the idea is that, yeah, the cross is ahead of us. We're moving towards the cross. The world, the ways of the world, the wisdom of the world, the deceitfulness, the lies, the, the scoffing, we're leaving that behind and we're moving to Christ to the cross. And how should we pray? Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus even tells us to pray for this coming because he says, uh, we, we should pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what? Thy kingdom come. Exactly. So we're praying for Christ's return. We're praying for his kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven. John, at the end of Revelation, says, uh, he records Jesus' words to him. So at the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, Jesus says to John, yes, I am coming soon. And John replies with, amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So Jesus is returning soon. So until then, we should be praying for his coming, praying for the lost, 
our loved ones who we know are not following Jesus right now. We should be praying that they would, that God would turn their hearts towards him. We should be encouraging one another through fellowship. We should be coming together to encourage each other even as we worship in a room like this on a Sunday morning or in small groups in our homes or just by having coffee with our brothers and sisters, encouraging each other to to maintain, persevere in the faith. And we should be speaking the gospel to our friends and family and neighbors. The good news that Jesus Christ, even though we are rebellious against God, that Jesus still chose to come live a perfect life as the perfect sacrifice for us so that we can put our faith in him for our salvation. Because of the judgment that Christ or because the judgment that Christ brings isn't the end. After the judgment, eternal life will be so pure and radiant and abundant and full of joy and peace that whatever happened to us on this side of heaven, whatever we did on this side of heaven, however we rebelled and the things we feel shame for, that will be like a distant shadow in your memory for eternity. I'm going to close by reading some passages out of Revelation 21 and 22. So let these words uh, wash over you. This This is God's word that I'm just reading straight to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, being Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then these verses from chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Does that sound worth living for? The first advent was Christ's coming. It was prophesied, it happened. The second advent, still to come, prophesied, and it will happen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and for your grace and for you bringing us all here this morning to 
worship you and to celebrate these baptisms. So Lord, thank you for giving us your word and and showing us how we can look forward to a day when your judgment will bring a cleansing where all the hurt and pain and, and sinfulness and wickedness in the world will be gone. And you will make a new creation of perfection and holiness where we will live with you forever. So Lord, as John says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, we look forward to that day. We pray now, too, as, as uh, the baptizees are getting ready to get into the tank, Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done in their lives. Would you continue uh, from this day forward to build in them and sanctify them for the rest of their lives, Lord? May they persevere in the faith as well. So bless us, Lord, as we continue to worship you. In your name, amen.